Thank you for joining Red Barn Theater for our first production in our podcast play series. This production is sponsored by all those that donated to our Giving Tuesday event. Thank you so much. We couldn't have done this without you. Radio readings and podcast plays are a part of our free-to-the-public programming. If you would like to donate and support these events, please go to our website at www.redbarntheater/supportus. Like and follow us on Instagram at Red Barn Theater or Facebook at Red Barn Theater NYC and stay up to date with all of our productions. And without further ado, Red Barn Theater presents to you Ebenezer, a podcast play. To begin with, Marley was dead. Dead as a doornail. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Ebenezer Scrooge had been Marley's business partner for many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole friend, and sole mourner. Even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by this sad event. Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there'd be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically, Jacob Marley was as dead as a doornail. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve. It is Christmas Eve, sir. I do not recall asking you, Cratchit. Get on with your work. The day is not over with yet. Well, actually, Mr. Scrooge... Indolent fools coming here with their Christmas nonsense. Hellfire and damnation! Can't they see I'm trying to run a business here? Oh, jolly. It's you. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. God save me for Christmas, bunch of humbug. Christmas, Christmas, a humbug. A humbug. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bob. Merry Christmas, Fred. Uncle, surely you don't mean that. I do mean it, sir. In another word from you, Cratchit, and you'll be joining the ranks of the unemployed. What right have you to be married, nephew? What reason? You're poor enough. And you're rich enough. What reason have you to be dismal? 
There's no such thing as reaching out. Only porn. One is abysmal by nature, the other is brought upon by hard work. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world such as fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas! What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, but not a day richer. If I could have it my way, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his tongue shall be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. Uncle! Nephew! Keep Christmas in your way and let me keep it in mine. But you don't keep it. Then let me be, then. Be good, sir, not to bother me during business hours. Nearly seven o'clock on Christmas Eve business hours? That's not business hours, that's drudgery for the sake of it. And an insult to all those of goodwill. <laughs> if I hear so much as another sound from you, Cratchit, your family will be notified of you losing your situation. You nephew. It's a wonder you don't go into Parliament, you're fool enough. Oh, come, don't be angry, Uncle. Dine with my wife and I tomorrow. And there's another thing. As if you aren't poor enough and fool enough already, you went off and got married. Now, why would you do a thing like that? Because I fell in love. Fell in love. Burn. The only thing more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good day, sir. Yet the invite still stands, Uncle. Good day. I ask nothing of you. Want nothing from you. Why can we not be friends? Good afternoon, sir. I am sorry with all my heart to see you so resolute. Merry Christmas, Uncle. Bob. And a happy new year to you as well, Bob. Thank you, sir. <sighs> sorry, sir. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe? Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these past seven years. Seven years this very night. We have no doubt that his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. Liberality? At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. They suffer greatly at the present time. Many are in want of common necessities and comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the Union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour, then? Both very busy, sir. I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful purpose. Very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish cheer of mind... A few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of war. We choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. That is what I wish. I don't make myself marry at Christmas and I can't afford to make idle people marry. I hope to support the establishments I have mentioned before and their good and useful purpose. And those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, sir. And many would rather die. If they had rather die than go there, they had better do it. And decrease the surplus population. Oh. Also, I don't know that. And if I might know it, it's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. 
mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, madam. You'll be wanting all of tomorrow off, I suppose. If it's uh, convenient, sir. It is not convenient and it is not fair, sir. Yet no doubt if I were to dock you a day's wages, you would consider yourself ill-used. Am I not ill-used that I pay a day's wages for no work? Well, it is Christmas Day, sir, and it, it is only once a year. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. What? What martyred me on generosity? If you must have the day off, be here all the earlier the next morning. Yes, sir. Oh, thank you, sir, and a Merry Christmas, sir. A Merry what, Cratchit? Nothing, sir. So sorry, sir. Good day, sir. There's a Fifteen shillings a week, a wife and five children. Still goes about with Merry Christmas on his brain. Belong in an asylum, the lot of them. Scrooge, having read all the newspapers, beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book. He took in less than usual as his clients decided to be forthcoming with their Christmas cheer to their customers. Scrooge did not take kindly to this, though, as he said, he is a martyr to his own generosity. Therefore, he allowed them extra time to pay, for twice the interest. After finding the butcher, the knitwear stall, the toy store, and even the Punch and Judy man, Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and went home for bed. This is not what he would find. Scrooge arrived at his doorway and began to fumble with his keys. He looked at the door and noticed a familiar face in the knocker. He rubbed his eyes and looked again. Jacob? Ah, the night playing tricks on a weary need. Scrooge made his way inside, locking the doors as he went. While not a superstitious person... Scrooge believed it important to lock things securely so no thief could ascertain his wealth. He made his way to his bedroom and prepared himself for bed. A dull, low fire was going in Scrooge's fireplace, and a candle sat aglow on his bedside table. He sat in a chair, soon to be for bed. A gust of wind extinguished the fire. 
sporadic chiming of clocks and bells raged and then rescinded. momentary silence, Scrooge began to hear a growing, howling wind. Whoever you are, I don't know how you got in me house, but my room and all my belongings are locked up tight. Leave me be, you won't get anything here. brought on by my slight stomach disorder. That's it. Brought on by a blob of mustard or undigested bed of... You'll find there's more grave than gravy about me, Scrooge. <laughs> How now? What do you want with me? Much. What are you? Who are you? Better to ask me who I was. Who were you, then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you sit? Please do so, then. Dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? It is required that every man and the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes forth not in life, it is condemned so after death. It is doomed to wander the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. You are fetid. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it out of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Would you know the weight and length of your strong coil you bear yourself? It is as Full and heavy as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Jacob, my old partner Jacob, speak comfort to me. I have none to give, Scrooge. A very little is permitted to me. 
cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Weary journeys lie before me. But you are always such a good man of business, Diego. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the ocean of my business. Why I did walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down. Hear me. My time is nearly gone. How is it that I appear before you in the shape that you can see? I may not tell. I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. That is no agreeable idea, Jacob. Jacob, be light with me. There is no light part in my penance. I am here tonight to warn you that you yet have a chance to escape my fate. Chance and hope of my procuring. Oh, thank you, Jacob. You will be haunted by three spirits. I, I, I think I'd rather not. Expect the verse tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Would I not take them all at once and have it over with, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third upon the next night on the last stroke of twelve. Look to see me no more. And look for your own sake. You remember what has passed between us. I would have had but another life to have learned to know more of you. Farewell, Ebenezer Scrooge. Upon saying this, the specter vanished. The candle and the fire replenished. Scrooge sat bewildered for a moment before smothering the fire and making his way towards his bed, deciding he was finished with this Christmas Eve. Scrooge found himself in a deep slumber by candlelight, almost the minute his head landed upon the pillow. When Scrooge woke, it was so dark that upon looking from his bed, he could scarcely distinguish the window from the wall. The neighboring church bell began to chime, and so he listened.
Why, it was well past two before I went to bed. I could not have slept through the whole day and into the night. But it, it cannot be noon without something having happened to the sun. That cannot be. Is this more of Jacob's doing? Molly, are you toying with me? Was it a dream? Was it, was it just a dream? Upon the door opening, a bright, clear jet of light illuminated all that could be seen around Scrooge's quarters. Scrooge cowered upon their entrance to the room. Upon examination, they sparked and glittered, one part in, one part out, like a well-kept flame. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No. Your past. What business brings you here, spirit? Your welfare. An interrupted night's sleep isn't conducive to my welfare. Your reclamation, then. A reclamation? Think I'd rather be in bed than leave me alone with this nonsense. Spirit? What are you doing, spirit? Spirit, let, let go of me. Spirit, I do not like heights. Let, let me down. Spirit, spirit, put me. Spirit, put me down. <laughs> and walk with me. Spirit, you head for the window. I am mortal. I will fall. Bear but a touch of my, my hand there upon your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road. The city had entirely vanished. The darkness and mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day with fresh snow upon the ground. Good heaven, I knew this place. I was a boy here. You recollect the way? Remember it. I could walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. The school ahead is not quite deserted, is it? No, a solitary child, neglected by his friends and his family, is left there still. I'm aware of it, spirit. Poor boy. I wish... What is the matter? Nothing. Nothing. Come, let us see another Christmas. As the two walked into the old school building, the years shifted around them. The building grew more dilapidated. The children grew older, but a solitary child sat alone still. Scrooge looked upon him when a familiar voice startled him. Ebenezer! Is that fun? Fun? There are but shadows of things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. Ebenezer! A little fun. Dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home. Bring you home, home, home. Bring me home? Yes, home for good and all. Home for ever and ever. Father is much kinder than he used to be. He spoke so gently to me one dear night that I was not even afraid to ask if you could come home. And he said, yes, you should. But this is time for you to be a man and sent me along in the coach to get you. And you're never going to come here again. But first we get to spend Christmas together and be merry all the while long. Fun. Remember, Scrooge. They are but shadows. Always a delicate creature, 
though her breath withered, but she had a large heart. So she had. You're right. She died a woman, and had children, I think. One child. Ah, yes. Your nephew Fred. Come, we have another stop. Within a moment, the forest melted away and was replaced with the busy affairs of a city. It's old Fezziwig's. I was apprentice here. Bless his heart to see old Fezziwig alive again. Oh, Ebenezer. Oh, Dick. Oh, my boys. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jack Robinson. Hilly-ho, boys. Clear the way, lads, and let's have lots of room here. Oh, and look, here, Mrs. Fezziwig has arrived with my lovely daughters, and our fiddler for the eve. At the door are our patrons. A merry Christmas Eve, lads. Get it clear for the festivities. The party carried into the night. There were dances, and forfeits, and then more dances. And there were cakes, mince pies, beef turkey, plenty of beer. Old Fezziwig took out to dance with Miss Fezziwig to the old fiddler's tune. And when the clock struck eleven, the domestic ball broke apart. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations beside the door, wishing everyone well and a Merry Christmas on their departure. You look as if you forgot I was here, as if you might have enjoyed the memory of an evening, Scrooge. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Why is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of mortal money, three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves his praise? It isn't that, Spirit. It isn't that. He had the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or toil. Say that his power lies in words and things so slight and insignificant, it's impossible to add and count them up. What then? happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What is the matter? Nothing particular. Something, I think. No, no, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk, that is all. My time grows short. Quick to our last. Scrooge looked upon himself again, this time in the prime of his life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years. By his side sat a woman in a morning dress, and in whose eyes there were tears. It matters little, very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing in the world. There is nothing to which it is so hard as poverty. And there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your noble aspirations fall off one by one until the master of passion, gain, engrosses you. Have I not? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? Am I changed towards you? Am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Your own feeling tells you that you were not what you are. 
I am, that which promised happiness when we were one heart, is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I sought release? In words, no. Never. In what, then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? No. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. When I have learned a truth like this, I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free, can I even believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? Do I not know that your regret would surely follow? I do, and release you with a full heart of the love of him you once were. You may have pain in this, and you will dismiss the recollection of it gladly as an unprofitable dream from which it happened well that you awoke. Be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, show me no more of this. Conduct me homeward. You must first understand the result of your choosings, Ebenezer. The girl grew into a woman. She met a man that loved her truly and never changed past the date of their contract. They have a happy, loving family with many children roaming their halls. Seven Christmas Eves ago, Scrooge, she found herself near your place of business. She looked upon you, understanding you were quite alone in the world. Spirit, remove me from this place. I cannot bear it. Remove me. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. the chiming scrooge was back in his room and the spirit was no longer there how can it be the day after already i am weary i will not accept this spirit i have had enough of these ventures brought forth by marley scrooge waited he was prepared for whatever may appear and steer them away quarter hour half hour Quarter past. Nothing came, and all this time he lay in bed, not allowing himself to sleep, to be caught off guard. At nearly the stroke of quarter past, Scrooge looked upon the door and noticed a ghostly light brightly pouring through the keyhole. He arose, and not a moment passed upon him, touching the handle that he heard. Come in, Ebenezer Scrooge. I've been waiting for you. Scrooge knew not why, but he opened the door out of sheer obedience. It opened back onto his own room, but it had undergone a transformation. The walls and ceiling were hung with greenery, the crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy. Come and get to know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You have never seen the like of me before. Never? 
Know you not my siblings? I don't think I have. I'm afraid I've not. Have you had many, spirit? A great many more than the mortal understanding of time may comprehend. Spirit, I had come forth to send you away and continue not upon this journey. I went forth last night on compulsion, yet I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you ought to teach me, let me profit of it. Conduct me where you will. Touch my robe. Perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power of his, or else it was his own kind, generous, hearty nature, his sympathy with all poor men that led him straight to Scrooge's clerk's home upon the touch of his robe. The house smelled of a small yet mighty feast. Quarters were tight and rather dreary to look upon, but this was to be expected for wages paid by Mr. Scrooge. Peter, the eldest Cratchit's son, and Martha, the eldest daughter, helped Mrs. Cratchit with dinner preparations as the younger children played. What has ever got your precious father, then? And Tiny Tim. There's father and Tim in the street now. Hide, Martha, and we'll give him a surprise. Hide, hide Martha, hide! Hide! Why, bless your heart alive, my dear, how late you are. Why, where's Martha? Not coming. Not coming? Not coming upon Christmas Day? Oh, Father, I can't bear to see you disappointed. Merely a prank on our behalf. <laughs> <laughs> and how did little Tim behave? As good as gold and better. Somehow, he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much. And he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people in the church saw him and that he was crippled, so that they might remember on Christmas who it was that made lame beggars walk and blind men see. He's growing so strong and so hearty. Now, now, let us not get emotional before dinner. Sit, sit and let us eat. Mmm, darling, there's never been such a good goose cooked. And such a helping all around. But let me get the pudding. Oh, I'm nervous to my bones. What if it's not done enough? Suppose it should break. Oh, it will be absolutely delightful, my dear. Yes, Won't it, children? Yes, Papa. A most wonderful pudding indeed. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God, God bless, bless us. Bless us. <laughs> Very good. Spirit, tell me. Would the boy live? I see an empty seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, kind spirits say that he will be spared. None other of my race will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Right, Scrooge? But I Man, if a man you be at heart, forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be in it the sight that you are worthless and less fit to live than a million like this poor man's child. I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. Founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. 
I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite my for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, for one to drink to the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's, not for his. Long life to him, a merry Christmas, and a happy new year. He'll be very merry and very happy, no doubt. I think Cratchit seems rather fond of me. Yes, so does his wife, couldn't you tell? Come, do not mock me, spirit. That is one thing upon which fate has blessed her. Now, Scrooge, look upon this and know even here am I. What place is this? <laughs> I know that laugh. That's my nephew's laugh. Why have you brought me here? He said that Christmas was a humbug. As I live, he believed it too. More shame for him, Fred. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth, and not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. What of it, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He, he hasn't the satisfaction of thinking he is ever going to benefit us with it. He don't make himself comfortable. I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He loses a dinner. A very good yes, very good. Very, very, you. very good, yes. I am very glad to hear it. Now, do go on, Fred. He never finishes what he begins to say. <laughs> I was going to say that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us is as to lose some pleasant memories which could do him no harm. I am sure he loses pleasanter companions than he can find in his own thoughts, either in his moldy old office or his dusty chambers. I mean to give him the same chance at Christmas till he die, but he can't help thinking better than it. I defy him if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. <laughs> Hours passed as Scrooge looked upon with merriment as the party continued. A game was being played in which the guests took turns asking Fred a series of questions to discern what it was he was thinking. They had surmised he was thinking of an animal, a live animal, and a disagreeable animal. Rather a savage animal, an animal that growled and grunted sometimes, and talked, living in London, that walked about the streets and wasn't made a show of, was not led by anybody and didn't live in a menagerie, was never killed in the market, was not a horse, nor cow, bull, tiger, dog, pig, cat, or bear, as every new question was asked, the nephew chortled as though he was inexplicably tickled. Is the animal... An <laughs> <laughs> oh, truly, but not in the terms of the animal. Oh, I have found it out. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. And what is that, my dear? 
Why, it's your uncle. Why, it certainly Why, is. Why, <laughs> I should have been correct, as I guessed it was a bear. <laughs> he has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure, and it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. And to it, I say, for Uncle Scrooge, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, wherever he is. I would think I should reply to this act, yet spirit, where have they gone? What void of street have you replaced such merriment with? Why, spirit, your hair, it shifted to gray. My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight upon the stroke of midnight. Hark! The time is drawing near. Forgive me if I'm not justified in what I ask, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your robe. Is it a foot? Or a claw? It might be a claw, for there is upon it... Look here! Look, man! A boy and a girl, Scrooge, meager and ragged. Are they yours, spirit? They are man's. They cling to me from their fathers. This boy is ignorance. The girl want. Beware them both in all of their degree. Most of all, beware this boy... For on his brow I see that which is written doom, unless the writing be erased. Tonight, slander those who tell ye, abide the end. Have they no refuge, no resource? Are there no prisons, no workhouses? Are the labor mills and poor law not in full effect? Upon the first strike of the midnight toll, the spirit and the children vanished along with all light. Scrooge cried out for the spirit, blinded by the sudden darkness. Spirit! Spirit, where have you gone? Why is it so dark? Where have you left me, spirit? Slowly his eyes adjusted, and through the fog and haze, an unsightly, solemn phantom with hooded figure was coming towards him like a mist along the ground. To my knees you've caused me to fall. Am I in the presence of the spirit of Christmas yet to come? You are to show me the shadow of things that have not happened, but but will happen in time before us. Is, is that not so, spirit? Spirit of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good and and as I hope to live yet to be a better man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and to do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? Lead on, then. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. Lead on. The phantom moved away as it had come toward him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which he felt bore him up and carried him along. It scarcely felt as if they entered the city, for the city rather seemed to spring upon them. The spirit came to a stop beside one knot of peasants, and with a long, hollow finger pointed toward them. I don't know much about it either way. I only know that he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. God knows. <laughs> What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hadn't left it to me. That's all I know. 
likely to be a cheap funeral. I don't know of anybody to go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if lunch is provided. Must be fed if I make a volunteer. Well, I'll offer to go if anybody else will. After all, he got his own at last. So I am told. No, something else to think of. Spirit, I understand not the importance of such trivial conversations. Why, this is nothing more than the passing talk of the local poor business people about the market. Where, where Spirit? Spirit, where, where have you gone? Spirit, wait a moment for me. Spirit, you cannot make your wave onward without so much as a notion toward me. Who is this that you lead me to now? Shrouded in the corner. This man has no place here at this time, yet, yet why does he stand waiting? Upon that moment, another man arrived. In the quietest of ways, they greeted, and then ducked into a parlor well hidden within the alley. The spirit bade Scrooge follow through another point of its finger. As they followed, Scrooge heard the men speak. What odds, then? What odds, Mr. Dilbert? Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more so. Why, then, don't stand staring as if you were afraid, man. Who's the wiser? Were you not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose? I should hope not. Very well, then. Who's the worse for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> no, indeed. If he wanted to keep them after he was dead, why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have somebody to look after him when he was struck with death instead of lying gasping out his last there, alone by himself. It's the truest word ever spoke. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment. And it should have been, you may depend on it. If I could have laid my hands upon anything else. Open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them to see it. We knew pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open the bundle, Joe. Very well. A seal, pencil case, pair of silver buttons, and a brooch. Nothing of great value. I offer six pence, if that be your account. Here you are, Mr. Dilber. Sheets, a towel, wearing apparel, two silver spoons, sugar tongs, pair of boots. I have written my offer upon the wall and will not a bit more. I always give too much at Christmas time, and that's all the way I ruin myself. Aye, but there's one more, old Joe. I see you're right. Why? Bed curtains! You don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all, with him lying there. Yes, I do. Why not? He isn't likely to take cold without him. Now, Willie. <laughs> you were born to make a fortune, you were. And you certainly do it. Those is his blankets, too. Who else, you think? I hope he didn't die of anything catching. Ugh. Ah, don't be afraid of that. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd lure about him for such things if he did. You may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it. Nor a threadbare. It's the best he had. And if I want to, 
I'd have wasted it if he hadn't been for me. Why? It was to put it on him as to be buried, to be sure. Somewhere I was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. This is the end of it, you see. <laughs> he frightened everyone away when he was alive. To profit us when he was dead. <laughs> Spirit, I see the case of this unhappy man might be my own if I continue to follow this trodden path. My life tends that way now. My merciful heaven, what is this, Spirit? Whose residence in which do we reside? Or why in their personal chambers? S Spirit, what, what lies there upon the bed? It was at this moment Scrooge had noticed an unfortunate lump upon the bed. Over it, a sheet was drawn and tucked around its edges. A stench filled Scrooge's nostrils, and with it, he understood. Spirit, I understand. Yet take us from this place. I cannot bear it, Spirit. I understand you, but I have not the power, Spirit. I, I have not the power. The Spirit let Scrooge's eyes rest upon the body a moment longer. With a slow lift of its bony finger, the chamber doors flew open, and Scrooge found himself once more in the home of the Cratchits. The color hurts my eyes. There, there, Martha. Better again now. It makes them weak by candlelight. I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home. It must be near his time. Past it, rather. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used to these past few evenings. I had known him to walk with him upon his shoulder. Very fast indeed. So have I, and often. But he was very light to carry, and his father loved him, so that it was no trouble. No trouble. There's your father at the door. Hello, my dear and my lovelies. You went today, then, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you so good to see how green his place is, but you'll see it often. I promised him I would walk there on Sunday. I know, my dear, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor Tim in doing it. Oh, Tim. My poor little Tim. Spirit, please, let, let us leave this place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson, trust me. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I, I know it, but I know not how. Tell me, Spirit, what man was that that we saw lying dead? <laughs> of lightning and thunder the spirit had transported them to a churchyard the wind howled around them as they stood gravestones littered about nearby a freshly dug grave a headstone covered in the dust of freshly earned the specter stretched out its bony hand and pointed upon the stone before i draw near to that stone at which you point answer me one question are these the shadows of things that will be or things that may be only Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if persevered in, they must lead, but if the course be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. Spirit, I will look upon the stone after I have cleansed it of the dust. 
Spirit, 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 tell me that it is not so. Am I the man who lay upon the bed, Spirit? No, point not towards the grave, Spirit. Hear me, I, I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I have been. Spirit, this intercourse, why show me this if I am past all hope? Spirit, my hands shake. I am wholly frightened. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I may yet change these shadows that you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and, and try to keep it all the year. I will be in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me that I may sponge away the writing on the stone, spirit. Around Scrooge, things began to darken and recede. He reached out and caught the specter's hand, but upon inspection, the spirit was no more. And in Scrooge's grasp, he held a bedpost. His bedpost. My bed. My bed curtain. They're not torn down. They're not torn down. Reason all they here. I am here. The shadows of things that would have been may have been dispelled. They will be. I know they will. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven in the Christmas times be praised for it. I say it on my knees, Jacob, on my knees. I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather, as happy as an angel. Merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. I, I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. What day is today, lady? Me? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day? Why, I have not missed it. Spirits have done it all in one night. Why, of course they have. They can do anything they'd like. Hello there, friend. Hello? Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I sure hope I did. An intelligent child. Remarkable child. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not not the little prize turkey, the big one. What? The one as big as me? How delightful. Yes, my lass. It's hanging there now. It is. Go buy it. Not likely. No, no, I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here, that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes. I'll give you half a crown. Ah, look at the splendid girl run. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. He shan't know who sends it. Why, it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Come this way, mister. Hurry. Why, my girl, that was fast as a shot. And look at the size of the bird. It's impossible to carry all the way to Camden Town. I shall get you a cab, my man. Merry Christmas to you both. Scrooge dressed in all his nicest and prepared out upon the town to run newly important errands. For the first time in an amount of years, Scrooge looked so merry the passing men and women in the street were not wary to wish upon him a good day and a merry Christmas. And Scrooge, in all of his heartiness, responded with more of the same. He had not walked terribly far when he noticed the woman that had visited his place of business the day before. My dear madam, how do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. Merry Christmas to you. Mr. Scrooge. Yes, that is my name. I fear it may not be pleasant to you. 
Allow me to speak your pardon, and will you have the goodness of accepting my donation? Lord, bless me. Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please. And not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. And please, call me Ebenezer. Will you do me that favor? My dear sir, I know not what to say to such... Say nothing, please. And come to see me. You will come to see me. I will. Thank you. I'm much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times and bless you. Merry Christmas! <laughs> Ebenezer laughed heartily and continued on his journey. He hesitated at the door of his destination. Many times he had walked by it, finally striking the courage to knock upon the door. Laughter and merriment could be heard inside the house as a young maiden answered. Hello? Is your master at home, my dear? Yes, sir. He's in the dining room, sir, along with his mistress and guests. I'll show you upstairs, if you please. I'll go in. Fred! Why, bless my soul, who's that? Why, it's your uncle Ebenezer. I have come to dinner. Will you have me, Fred? Have you? Why, it'll be a mercy if I not shake your arm off. It was not five minutes before Ebenezer fit in as if, well, as if he were family. On into the evening and night, the festivities did go. Music, food, games, and drink were enjoyed by all. Ebenezer even joined in a game where he thought of an item, and the guest asked him questions to discern what it was. This time, it was a bear. <laughs> the next day, Ebenezer sat in the offices awaiting Bob Cratchit. Why no, Bob? This shall provide me a fun little opportunity. It was a full 18 minutes past Bob's hour when Bob came rushing into the dim office. What do you mean coming this time of day, sir? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I am behind my time. Oh, it's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I, I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now I tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, therefore, I'm going to raise your salary. Merry Christmas, Bob. A merrier Christmas, Bob, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a bowl of Christmas soup, Bob. Ebenezer Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, as good a man as the whole city knew. No further did the spirits interfere with him. From that moment on, it was well known that he knew how to keep Christmas. May that truly be said of all of us. And so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Thank you for listening to Ebenezer, a podcast play, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information about the cast and crew of this production, go to our website at redbarntheater.com. This production was sponsored by What Are This? For more information, check out their Facebook at What Are This Official or Instagram at What Are This Official.
This production is sponsored by Let's Talk About It, written and performed by Tyra Wilson. For more information, visit at Tyra Wilson Jokes. <laughs>